Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This episode of VUX World is brought to you by the Conversational Academy. If you're looking to upskill and get yourself trained in what it takes to be a conversation designer and learn all of the ins and outs and details about the kind of things that you'll be doing as a conversation designer, you should check out the Conversational Academy. It is the single central place that I would recommend for any budding conversation designer even if you are a conversation designer there'll be things in there that you probably aren't aware of and there'll be things that you can learn that will improve what you do it's an online course you can do it at your own pace and if you use the promo code in the website or on our website rather on the show notes for this podcast and on the web page then you can save 10 percent on the cost so check it out on this week's episode we're speaking to the founding father or one of the founding fathers of amazon alexa Jeff Adams. Jeff now has a company called Cobalt Speech and he essentially creates voice assistants for anybody who wants a voice assistant. (laughs) But he was there at the beginning. He was at the company that was acquired by Amazon that then turned into the Echo and Alexa. His story is absolutely fascinating. We get into detail about what it was like when Jeff Bezos and the Amazon team communicated their vision for the Echo and what it was intended to be and what they wanted it to be to Jeff and the team who were at a company called Yap that was then acquired that became Amazon Alexa and we talk through the whole origin story we document the whole process from being acquired all the way through more or less to launching the Echo and we also speak about the work that he's doing recently that Jeff's doing recently with Cobalt Speech which is absolutely fundamentally interesting ladies and gentlemen without further ado this is jeff adams the founding father of amazon alexa on vux world vux world vux world vux world branding with the big faces i love listening to it Kane Sims, the one and only Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about boys. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Cool. So, Jeff, welcome to VUX World. It's great to be here. Thank you, Kane. Pleasure to have you. Legend in the industry. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's uh, let's not press the point. And Dustin, uh, Jeff is Jeff is uh, close to us right now. He's in London, so we have the pleasure of of him being on our, or at least similar to our time zone. That's uh, Jeff. It's it's great to have you here in Europe. Yeah, it's great to be here. So what? what so what? What are you here for then, Jeff? Well, I'm uh, I'm en route to Vienna, Austria, where next week is the annual Interspeech Conference. It's the it's the primary. Um, speech technology uh, uh, conference, uh, mostly academic focused. It's not so much a a business kind of uh, uh, meet and greet conference, Uh, but uh, you're going to have, you know, lots of uh, students and graduate students and professors and, and uh, uh, serious speech scientists from industry all converging. There'll be uh, maybe a couple thousand of us there uh, for a week in Graz, Austria. And, uh, and we will uh, will be uh, we're going to have five people there from uh, our company Cobalt Speech and Language, uh, just making sure that we're on top of the latest uh, everything. Cool, Jeff. What are the after parties like at an inter-speech conference? <laughs> they, uh, they, um, they can be interesting. Now it depends if it's the formal, uh, you know, the formal banquet uh, after party. Um, that everyone goes to. Some of those are quite uh, uh, interesting, fun. Some of them can be a little stifling. Uh, but uh, what usually also happens is that, you know, that's that's only one night of the week and the rest of the nights, uh, uh, you know, people get together and say, uh, you know, let's go, let's go to the local bar or let's go do something. Uh, the craziest thing I did once was I took a colleague and we said, let's just get out of town and this conference was a few years ago in Geneva, Switzerland, and uh, we just started driving um, in the afternoon and intentionally got ourselves lost and found ourselves in Italy uh, and uh, and then realized it took us till six in the morning to get back. 
<laughs> conference the next day. <laughs> nice. Are you speaking then? Are you speaking at this? Or are you there to soak up the learning? I'm 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 there to soak it all up. I'm not speaking this time. Cool. And and your stopover in London. Apologies, we didn't get a chance to meet in person. By the way, I know you were here again for CogX as well uh, a few months back, wasn't it? And we kind of just just missed each other. But you you're kind of stopping over as a for for a flight transfer this time. Uh, a flight transfer and uh, just uh, uh, a, a personal excuse to visit my son who's uh, uh, studying in London this semester, just for a semester abroad. Cool. So for, for the people who are, who are not aware of yourself, Jeff, you, you were uh, one of the founding managers of the Alexa Speech Group, and we'll probably get into a little bit of what, what that entailed and what your experiences was like there. But tell, tell the VUX World listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, let's see. So I, it was about 25 years ago that I decided to uh, leave academics and uh, stop being a grad student and get a real job and uh, looked around at what was available, and I was intrigued by this idea of speech recognition. And I took a job. I moved from uh, the west coast of the U.S. to the east coast. I uh, took a job with a, with a small company that was doing speech recognition. Over a series of acquisitions, that company became Nuance uh, and Dragon, and I led the, uh, the, the team at Nuance and Dragon that was focused on language modeling, large vocabulary, speech recognition, uh, particularly for um, medical and expanding our language portfolio. It was a, it was a very interesting uh, job. I, I was there for 13, 14 years and on just completely on a whim, left and joined a tiny little startup in uh, North Carolina, which may not mean anything to your UK uh, listeners, but that's not a center of speech technology in the U.S. Uh, and... Um, uh, but uh, but I I managed to recruit a pretty impressive team of people at this little little startup uh, company called Yap, and um, we uh, we did some good things and uh, drew the attention of Amazon, who then acquired us to form the core of their uh, Alexa team, as it was just just starting out at the time. Alexa was just a vision in the uh, in the mind of Jeff Bezos and a couple of senior managers there, uh, and so we were the we were the ones they brought in to actually make it happen. It was kind of exciting. Wow how how early were you brought on to Amazon before Alexa actually launched? So it was almost exactly three years um, before Alexa before the the Echo was launched. Um, it was. So I'll tell you, it was kind of uh, it was kind of interesting. We were at this small startup. We knew Amazon wanted to buy us, but we had no idea why. Why would Amazon, this shopping company, want to buy uh, cutting edge speech technology? What what was their deal with that? And we had all sorts of internal discussions and bets, but Amazon wouldn't tell us. This was such a secret project. They wouldn't tell us why they were acquiring us. And even after the acquisition was final. It was weeks before they actually told us what what they had hired us to do, um, and they wouldn't tell us that um, we we were a distributed group, people working from their homes homes uh, around the country in the U.S. Uh, and they um, they insisted on flying everybody to Seattle to Amazon headquarters, and they brought us in a room and they locked the door and closed the windows and uh, swore us to secrecy uh, and uh, and t- described. A, a somewhat early version of the Amazon Echo, um, the you know the device that has Alexa living inside it, and um, we hadn't decided at the time uh, uh, much about the persona of Alexa. It was just this was just, in fact, we hadn't even called it. We just hadn't even decided to call it the Echo. Um, our internal code name for it was Doppler, so um, we, we called it the the Doppler project. Even now, I feel. A little bit guilty saying that word out loud because you know, for years it was such a secret code name. <laughs> uh, but I know that Amazon has since named one of their buildings at its headquarters Doppler uh, name. Wow! So the secret's out what, there. So what was the reason for calling it Doppler? Um, that was just a code name. I, the you know the, I, I I think there was not much of a reason because th- that the. Uh, that kind of defeats the purpose of having a code name that is <laughs> obfuscating what the whole project is about. Uh, sometimes we just shortened it and called it Project D. Um, 
but they brought it. Let me finish my story. They brought us into the room. They told us what they wanted to do. And my heart sank because uh, the technology for what they were describing just didn't exist yet. And, uh, and I thought they're going to want us to build this thing in a couple of months and the technology is just not there. And I, and I approached them privately, the, the management afterwards. And I said, I'm really sorry. I hate to, I hate to tell you this, but what you're describing can't be done, uh, at least with today's technology. And I, they, they had a great response. They said, well, um, you know, build it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, they said, we're not impatient. If it takes a couple of years, it takes a couple of years. If, if you have to hire a bunch of people, hire a bunch of people, but you know, make it happen. We want to, we want to invest in this. We want to see it happen. And so I spent the next three years until we launched, uh, hiring like a madman. Uh, I hired 70, 80 people, uh, for the project, um, all like PhD level speech scientists, Around the world, we opened offices in Germany and England and California and Massachusetts, as well as Seattle. Uh, it was uh, it was a crazy time. I I, uh, I built up a lot of frequent flyer miles, uh, roaming the planet, recruiting and, and managing the group and so forth. But it was a it was a wild ride and a lot of fun. And when when they were explaining to you in this darkened room when they made you turn all your phones off and promise never to speak to it to your partners or anything, um, did they explain and uh, share the vision for what the Echo is today or has it moved from then? Yeah, that, that is a great question. They, um, I think they realised that they didn't entirely know what it would, what it would eventually become. And so one of our very first meetings, maybe the, the second day after we were out there, after they had defined what they want this to be, they said, now let's imagine that you have, uh, you know, one of these echoes in your kitchen. And they divided us up into some different groups. And they said, okay, you five over here, I want you to imagine everything you could do with a, a machine that you could talk to and it could talk back intelligently in your kitchen. And so we were brainstorming ideas about, well, it could coach me while I'm making a recipe. It could uh, convert measurements for me. It could uh, serve as a shopping list. It could whatever. And then they had another five people that were saying, they said, okay, what could you do if you had an echo in your, uh, in your, in your garage or garage? Uh, and, uh, uh, and then we were saying, well, I don't know, I could, uh, you know, find parts for my car that I'm working on, or I could use it to organize things in my garage. Uh, and then someone else said, you know, what would you do in the entertainment room? So they had us all divide up and brainstorm, what could we do at, in a business office and in different home settings and so forth. And then they, they, we rotated, we spent the whole day just brainstorming ideas. And by the end of the day, we had a list of hundreds of use cases many of which have have uh, have come to fruition they've been implemented um, uh, and uh, it was kind of exciting that that first day that was where we first kind of got the vision of of what it was and what what did you then you know after leaving that room and then you said you went on a mad hiring spree and you had to build the technology what did you actually have to do? Like, what, what, what did you have? You had presumably you could generate some speech, but that was it. Like, what, did, what did you have to actually have to have to do? Well, let me tell you the thing that was hard about the Amazon Echo, and uh, it uh, it will actually this will explain a little bit why they call it the Echo, I, and and maybe to some extent uh, explain the name Doppler, although I think that's inadvertent. Um, uh, the technology at the time for speech recognition worked worked fine for people speaking into a microphone that was close to their mouth, that was maybe even a, f a foot or two away from their mouth, maybe, or uh, it, for your uh, metric system uh, listeners, you know, half a meter away from their mouth or so. But um, once you got mm, five or six feet, maybe two meters away from the mouth, that the microphone was that far away from the mouth in a room, uh, the problem is that my voice doesn't just travel from my mouth to the microphone. It bounces off the window and goes to the microphone and it bounces off the, the, the ceiling and the desk and the, the walls and the picture on the wall. And all, each of these things has 
a different level of hardness and size and, and, and reflective properties for the acoustics. And so the microphone is now getting 10 or 20 copies of what you said, each one of them slightly delayed from the other because of the echo delay, and each one of them slightly deformed in, in some way based on the properties of the thing it bounced off of. And so instead of just having one copy of the speech, you were getting you know 10 copies of the speech that were all a little bit uh, uh, transformed from each other. Uh, and the speech technology at the time just didn't know how to deal with that. Um, fortunately, just in a couple, the couple of years prior to this, uh, uh, some new technology had been introduced to speech recognition technology, uh, and this was uh, what's what's called deep learning or uh, deep neural networks, where um, and, and they sort of mimic the way the brain works, and uh, and they did a much better job of capturing this kind of echoey audio. Um, uh, and 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 we were able to uh, train new speech recognition models using these um, using these deep neural networks. Um, but the challenge was still to in order to train those, we had to have thousands of hours of audio that was recorded by people talking in home situations in different rooms in your house from you know, anywhere from two to 20 feet away from the microphones and so forth. And so we had a massive data collection uh, in, in a variety of homes um, uh, with a variety of speakers and so forth to, to, to then train those models. And that, the data collection took, I don't know, at least a year uh, of, of the time that we were working on this. And then once we had the data collection, then there was a lot of processing required to train these neural networks. Um, um, but that was the, uh, that was clearly the secret to, um, uh, to getting it to work. And, and I, and I, and I say, I think that's why it's appropriate that the device is called an echo because the problem we had to solve was the problem of echoes in speech, uh, in a, in a, in a room, uh, sort of acoustic environment. Wow. That is so, so was that the... Was that the main thing you had to do in terms of getting the device to just hear people properly? Was that the the core thing that you were working on for that whole solid year of gathering data and then the year of processing, or was there anything else you had to do as well? Well, that was the main um, process, the main breakthrough, if you will, for uh, for what we call acoustic modeling. That is getting the computer to understand and recognize the, the different sounds that people make. So if you say, uh, uh, if you say a word like hello, that has the sounds he, or h, eh, o, o, it has those four sounds. And we have to, the computer has to recognize uh, what does an L sound look like uh, in, in the wave file when it sees it. Uh, and that was the problem we were solving here was what does an L sound look like when it's in this reverberant echoey uh, environment. Um, and so we, that, that was the primary breakthrough on that end, but the echo was much more than just recognizing speech. It was also understanding the intent of what a person was trying to say. And we had all sorts of discussions about, well, what if they, you know, if they're trying to listen to music, what if they say, um, you know, I want to listen to the, the Beatles white album. Well, the album's not listed in the catalog as the White Album. It's a, the official name is The Beatles, uh, by The Beatles. Uh, and so we have, you know, how are we going to recognize uh, what they really mean that that they mean this album and not that album? Uh, how are we going to recognize the the difference if they say stop? Did we mean stop the timer or stop the music or stop the all these discussions about how are you going to get this voice first? Uh, apply, which wasn't a term at the time, but now it's a popular term. Uh, how are we going to get uh, people to be able to work with this voice-first technology where they don't really have a screen to like touch and confirm what they meant? We really just have to understand um, and, and maybe ask for clarifications if necessary, but we want to minimize that. So there was a lot of work at the same time in 
you know, how are we going to understand what they ask for? How are we going to resolve that? How are we going to figure out uh, what to do when they, when they ask us something? And then there was another um, related but parallel different um, track of, look, how do we get, you know, there's, there's a, at the time there was more than a million songs in the uh, Amazon music library catalog. And how do we, how do we get the system to recognize so many different words? Because the, you know, the million songs means something like a million words. When you look at all the different uh, artist names, album names, song names, they're often spelled funny. Um, I think we counted like 10 different ways that, uh, that popular music songs spelled the word girls. Well, there's a standard way, but then sometimes they spell it with a G, or sometimes G U R L Z, or G U R L Z Z, or whatever. And how are we going to resolve all of that? And you know, trying to match the catalog with you know what people are asking for. Anyway, there was a lot. I just I want to say that the acoustic modeling was probably the star of the show. Uh, it was the you know the breakthrough that made it uh, that kind of made it from impossible to possible. Uh, but there was a lot of other work in natural language understanding and language modeling and uh, dialogue management and all sorts of things. And was your team kind of, so where did you fit in that? Was your team kind of doing the whole thing or were you purely focusing on the speech recognition side of things? Uh, my team was focused on pretty much all of what I just described, the speech recognition, which included the acoustic modeling and the language modeling, as well as the natural language understanding. Um, there were other teams that did the app development uh, of, you know, actually integrating with the music player or actually looking up the weather or, or whatever. Um, but uh, my team was responsible for figuring out what the user said and what they meant by it. And now on the NLU side, did you have to consider from the beginning that this was going to be opened up to third-party developers? That was, I, I'm sure people were thinking about it at the time, but that was not much of an issue for us when we were focused on just launching. Um, I, I, it was it was there in the background, but it was not in the foreground. At least, at least not for my team. Uh, I, I'm sure there were other people who were worrying about that uh, as part of their particular jobs. And you mentioned that you you were mentioning the acoustic modeling and trying to help the device understand the various reflections coming into it. But then you also said language modeling. Now, I think for, for probably for Dustin and for, for a few of the developers that are listening, they probably have an understanding of what language modeling is. And designers, we can't, we're familiar with the interaction model and all that kind of terminology, but what would you, how would you describe language modeling? What, what, what does that entail? So, um, if you, if you want to think about speech recognition, um, at, at its foundation, there are really three different models that work together to help the computer figure out the words that you said. There's the acoustic model that helps it identify the sounds of the language in the, in the wave file, you know, in the audio. And then there's a, a lexicon that knows how to piece those sounds together to make words. Uh, so if you heard, you know, if, if the acoustic model thought, oh, you know, I, I, I heard this sound and this sound and this sound, the, the lexicon might say, oh, they make a word. Uh, I, I know a list of words here. The language model uh, is the part that then uh, kind of cleans up and says, well, look, here are a lot of words that I might have heard. Um, which words make sense? Which words are more common? Which sequences of words make, make sense together? Uh, so if... Um, um, you know, if someone said they wanted to hear the the white album, and and the the lexicon and acoustic model said, well, they could have said wide album or white album. The language model is going to say, well, white album doesn't make sense. I know white album does, so it it kind of figures out which sequences of words make sense then in the audio. Okay. Okay. So you then have to presumably figure out all of the different ways that people can say certain things and then be able to then have like almost like a 
a library, if you like, of all of the different permutations and ways that people can say stuff, and then you like have to what reference that whenever you get some audio coming in, and you. That's, that's right, and that's uh, um, a, a lot of people pay a lot of attention to the acoustic modeling. It's kind of the uh, you know the, uh, the, the the sexy member of the family. The language model is. Uh, kind of the unsung workhorse in a lot of cases. It's, uh, it's, it's a, a big, hairy task to what you just described is essentially right. You've got to keep track of all of the words that people might have said. Uh, how, how do they make sense fitting together? Uh, and you know, how do you resolve those? Let's get some way of scoring them. Traditional language modeling, if I'm just like trying to uh, recognize and transcribe what someone said in a, in a conversation, uh, I do that by um, uh, by looking at, let's say, billions with a B, billions of words of text that um, uh, that that I might have collected from uh, newspaper uh, articles or web blogs or social media or any place I can find them, and so a big part of language modeling is collecting vast amounts of text from books and, and wherever uh, just to, to learn those frequencies of what words are more common, what, what order do they come in, what words follow other words and so forth. And then that has to be represented in a pretty compact way. Most modern for the, for the uh, uh, super techno files out there, uh, most modern speech recognizers use um, a finite state transducer to represent all of those words and their possibilities and, and their, their scores of how they follow each other. Uh, and then that's a fairly efficient way to, <clears throat> um, to then look that up when you're in the process of decoding what someone said. Wow. And is that like, uh, what did you say there? Uh, uh, something transducer? A finite state transducer. We call them FSTs. Finite state transducer. So, so, what is that? Is is that like essentially like a series of databases that, or it's, something uh, like that? You can think of it as a as a big um, a, a big uh, network diagram that that shows every every word and and how you can travel from one word to the next word and what what's the score from going from this word to that word. So you can kind of track your progress through the through the highways of this network diagram. Uh, with scores uh, as uh, as a relatively efficient way of keeping track of what a person might have said, and as you're keeping track and listening, and you realize, oh, oh, now the audio doesn't match anymore. You can forget that hypothesis that you were following and pay attention to one of the other thousand hypotheses that you were tracking. At any point in time, you're always tracking many, many different possibilities of what they might be saying. Uh, and uh, always updating them, discarding the ones that don't make sense anymore, uh, and so forth. It's, uh, uh, it's 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 fascinating if you're if you're a computer science nerd like me. <laughs> so so Jeff, then this is essentially taking the the knowledge that people aren't original and the words are going to be in an expected order over time, and use that that FST to to narrow down. Uh, until you have the correct one. Yeah, or at least they're going to be original in predictable ways, in regular ways, you know. You you can still get good scores for things that that you are saying for the first time in history, uh, just because, you know, words tend to follow each other in certain kinds of patterns. So is, that, is that one of the reasons then why there are still reportedly a load of people working on this is because that's constantly evolving, constantly changing, needs to be, as as new capabilities come on stream, they need to be constantly adapting that uh, language model. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's, uh, um, I I left Amazon five years ago and I, uh, I they don't tell me anymore what they're doing. <laughs> So, uh, so I can only guess what they're doing. I know they've continued to hire like crazy. Uh, when I left them, and I think the, the the core speech science team was like 80 people, and that was bigger than any other company, any other group, any other university in the world. I thought, wow, they have enough people. I can, you know, I can I can leave. Uh, I've done my job. But I think they've, you know, 
I think they've multiplied that by five. I don't even know how I don't even know how big the group is, but it's a huge group now. Um, and I think part of what they're doing is um, is refining the standard acoustic models and language models, but using the data of, as people are using uh, their you know their Alexa devices, uh, so that they're they're tracking without paying attention to you as an individual, they're tracking what are the words in, in what combinations, what are the most common words that are being said? What are the most common phrases that are being said? So that if you say something in an unusual way, uh, it's gonna make a note of that as, oh, that's another way to say turn off the lights uh, or whatever. Uh, so they are, uh, they're constantly training the acoustic models and the language models and the lexicon I, I suppose, again, this is me, you know, guessing from the outside, um, uh, but they're constantly training those things on, uh, on the ongoing data that, that they collect as people are using the system. And now, so you mentioned the FST approach earlier, and that's the, what you approached it when you were there at Amazon. Is that still the, the state of the art in speech recognition, or is there anything new on the scene? Um, well, so FSTs are a great way to represent um, language models and sort of sequence uh, models of, uh, in general when you're trying to predict what things follow other things in order to decode them. Uh, I would be shocked if Amazon weren't still using FSTs. Uh, that's, that is um, uh, the standard in the industry still. Um, on the acoustic model side, I'm quite confident they're still using deep neural networks, although they're probably, well, in fact, I know they are exploring different configurations of those deep neural networks of how those networks are, you know, how the, what the connections look like and how they're configured and how they're trained and so forth. Um, and, you know, Amazon's pretty good about, uh, at this, at this uh, conference I'm going to, Interspeech, next week, I expect to see a number of papers from Amazon where they're sharing details of um, of the improvements that they've made, um, which is it's kind of cool. Mm. I see D David Zbitsky, the well, the chief, the chief evangelist over there. He tends to tweet them quite a lot uh, on LinkedIn, and every now and then I think, oh, that sounds interesting, and I'll kind of get like three words in, and I'm thinking, oh my god, I haven't got a clue what this is talking about. Mm. <laughs> so you left, you left then. You said about five years ago. So that was so. So it must have launched then. Had it the Echo must have launched in America at that point. And it, it, right within a week or so of when I left, yeah, it, it, I launched. I left at the launch, essentially. Wow, that must have been quite a proud moment, was it? It was. It was. It was exciting. Do you know what? I, I have to tell you, um, we at Amazon there were two sister projects. There was um, um, a project, our, our, our project for for the Echo, and there was another secret, top secret project for the Amazon Fire Phone. Do you remember ah, that? Yeah, vaguely. I had one. <laughs> I almost bought one. I almost bought one at the last minute I decided not to, and then I was glad later that I didn't. Well, you could get it, you could get it on eBay for, I believe it was $90, and it yeah. came with a year of Prime, so you got a phone for $10. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was excited about the, the Fire Phone. It had some really cool features, but... One of the things that was just really uh, striking to me was that at Amazon, it, internally, it seemed pretty clear to me that um, the Fire Phone was projected to be the big winner. It was going to take over the world. And this little thing we were doing, the, the uh, Echo thing, was kind of a, you know, a second you know, second place, uh, maybe not quite as interesting. It might, be, ha might have a niche market. Um, and, uh, and the results were completely the opposite. The Fire Phone, you know, failed and was discontinued pretty quickly. Um, I, I mean, it failed commercially. I think it was still an interesting uh, device technically. Um, but the, uh, but I, I don't think any of us really anticipated quite how much uh, Alexa would affect the world. That it's, you know, it's a household name. Uh, I you know, I, I no longer have to explain to people what I do. I mean, I, I just say, you know, I help build Alexa. And they oh, okay, I, now I know what, because uh, everybody knows it. Everybody knows Alexa, and, and it's cool. Do you reckon that they will ever consider a rebirth of the Fire Phone under the Alexa 
banner. Yeah, I uh, I would be surprised if they don't. But I again, I don't have any inside knowledge. That's just a guess. Yeah, they've kind of established trust now, haven't they? They've got products in people's homes. They've got reach now. Yeah. 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 Great. So that's that's such a good story. I'm so glad that we've kind of got to speak about that. That was absolutely wicked. But t- tell us now what you, you've moved on from from um, Amazon, one of the founding fathers of Alexa. Very, very few people can say that. Um, <laughs> so what are you doing now at Cobalt Speech then? Well, uh, I'll tell you a story. When I was at Amazon, one of the things that I noticed I began to notice that within Amazon and also in uh, connections that I had outside of Amazon, there were a number of um, there were a number of of departments or companies or, or people that were trying to do something innovative with speech, uh, but they didn't have the resources to do it. Uh, and I noticed that at Amazon, the idea of the of the Echo was, I mean, it's a it's a, it's a basic idea. You can describe it in, you know, just a few sentences. It's not a very complex idea, but to build it was, was a huge effort. And only a company like Amazon could have afforded the hundreds of millions of dollars uh, that they had to invest in building Alexa. Uh, if you were a, you know, a, a, a clever business person with a great idea for some other speech related device, you you were shut out of of that. You you didn't have access to the kind of uh, speech research scientists uh, that it would take to get a team of people to build all of that. You didn't have access to um, well the technology in general because it's uh, almost everybody in the commercial world at the time who was doing speech worked for one of the big five or six uh, tech companies. And, uh, and, you know, they weren't exactly doing projects for other companies. They were doing their own projects. And I said, there needs to be a company out there that will help other companies build the things that they want to build, um, that will allow the next great idea that's, you know, as innovative as Alexa, uh, allow them to, to have to get access to the technology. And so I left Amazon and uh, over the next few years, I built a team of, well, there's uh, like 25 of us now at Cobalt Speech. Uh, and I'd say a little more than half of us have like, you know, PhD level experience in speech engineering and speech science. Um, and we are, um, and we, we've hung out our shingle to say we will, you know, we will build speech technology uh, for anyone who needs it. Um, so now over the last five years, we have built... Uh, a, a complete array of speech technology that includes state-of-the-art speech recognition, speech synthesis or text-to-speech, um, natural language understanding and dialogue, uh, conversational kinds of technology. We can we have uh, biometrics to recognize who's speaking. Uh, we can. Oh, an interesting thing that we've done is uh, we've developed technology to recognize things about the speaker. Uh, that is not just the words they're saying, but I, you know, I listen to you speak. When you and I speak, we infer a lot about the other person. Uh, you, you'll have an idea of my age, my gender, my nationality through my accent, uh, my level of enthusiasm, and so forth. Um, and and so we built some technology to infer those kinds of things about the speakers. And where I'm most excited is that we've spun some of that off into a separate company, uh, Canary Speech, that is um, using that to detect uh, certain diseases uh, in people. So we can hear you speak and uh, detect that you may have signs of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or other a uh, handful of other diseases that uh, manifest themselves through your voice. So... Sorry, I, I'm, I'm getting a little bit, uh, I, I'm probably saying more than you wanted me to say. I, I'm, I'm going on because I'm so excited about this. So at Cobalt, the short story is we've developed uh, a whole broad range of speech and language technology, and then we use that to build things for our partners and clients, whoever they are. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Canary Speech because as luck would have it, I happened to, to 
get introduced to Henry, your friend over there, and he's actually going to be on the podcast in, in, I can't remember when it's booked in for now, I was just checking there as you were speaking, it's uh, in the next couple of weeks, basically, uh, when is it, 1st of October we're doing the recording, so it'll be out a couple of weeks after that, so we're going to be talking all about that as well. That's very cool, yeah, so that, the story there is that Henry was working with us here at Cobalt, he was a VP of business development here, and uh, he and I were talking, we said, there, someone needs to be doing this. Know, disease classification through speech. And, and we finally just said, well, let's just do it. Let's just found a, a separate company and go after it. Uh, and so that's that's what they're doing. I'm very excited about what they're up to. Yeah, so we'll, we'll learn a lot more about that in the coming weeks. Go on, Dustin. How does Cabal work? Is this a uh, SDK that people are adding it to their devices or the apps? Is it a platform that they're hitting via API, what's going on when we engage with Cobalt? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. So the, um, there, there are two answers to the question. I'm going to give you the simple answer first. Uh, the simple answer is uh, yes. Uh, our speech recognizer, uh, you can license it from us. There's a simple API. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's quite accurate. We have uh, it available in a handful of languages and we're developing more all the time. Uh, and and uh, and and so you can install it. You can run it on your own server. You can run it uh, in on your own embedded device if you need to, uh, as long as it has enough power, compute power, and so forth. So that's the the short answer is yes. We we license this technology with APIs. There you go. Um, the the more complex answer is that almost all of our customers come to us not wanting just a speech recognizer. They want a product that is something more interesting. Maybe they want some a way for their customers to control their complicated photocopy machine by voice, just to, to throw out an example. That's not a real example. I'm still waiting for a photocopy company to come and, and hire that. But, uh, uh, but, you know, photocopy machines are an example of a machine that can baffle uh, even the, the most sophisticated user with all of the uh, capabilities and so forth. So imagine how convenient it would be to be able to walk up to one and say, I need 32 copies, double-sided, collated in a certain way and uh, stapled on the right top corner or whatever. Uh, and uh, you just say that and it, it knows what to do uh, and, it, and, it, and it does it. So a lot of the projects we work on are something like that, where a company will engage us to build where we will put something together using the building blocks of the tools that we've already developed. So we will, you know, we'll integrate with their system. We'll um, train their people on how to use it. Uh, they may want it, you know, maybe they want it running locally on the photocopier and the photocopier is, you know, we have to get it to run on that operating system uh, and, and so forth. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of customization that goes into uh, almost all of the projects that we do. But it's not required. It's just that those are the people that tend to come to us. Um, there are other places where you can go and get speech recognition if you just want simple speech recognition. They come to us if they need something customized or if they want more control over it, like they don't want to send their speech up through the cloud um, to you know, someone else's servers. And is that then the customization aspect? Um, is that all around the, the kind of dialogue design side of things? So in that kind of copier example, you need to know what it means when someone says 30 pages. Is it is it to do that level of configuration or is it to actually get help with, with the back end side of stuff? What, what, what is it predominantly that they want customizing? So uh, different customers that we work with uh, will want different levels of uh, support from us. Uh, typically, we um, uh, we do the full we do the full thing. Uh, you know, we design the dialogues, we design uh, all of those pieces with the with the customer's participation. We we don't we don't isolate ourselves. We uh, um, we we work with them closely, and we uh, well as a, well. That's one of the things I love about Cobalt is that we've done so many projects with people in so many different industries that now I feel like you know oh I've contributed to you know the manufacturing industry and educa ed education and entertainment and finance and 
uh, all these different industries. And we've had to learn something about each of those industries along the way, which is, it's kind of fun. I, I, I never get bored. Uh, every day I come to work, not sure what I'm going to learn about that day. Who are the people that you're working with inside these companies? What titles are coming to you and you're collaborating with? It depends a lot on the size of the company. If it's like a, a Fortune 50 company, then it'll be some, uh, maybe a director. Uh, 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 but if it's uh, a lot of our, a lot of our customers are startups and, you know, they might only have, you know, five people in the company. And so we're usually in that case dealing directly with the founder or the CEO um, or, you know, maybe their whole team uh, to define what we're going to do. And that's, um, that's what we, you know, but an engagement usually take, that's the form it takes is that, they'll have a team of people on their end. They'll work, they'll talk to us. We'll have a couple of people and we will jointly figure out, okay, here's what, you know, here's what you want to have done. Here's how we can do it. Uh, let's lay out a proposal. That'll take you three months and it'll cost you so many dollars. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, we go forward and do it together with them. We really like to view ourselves as uh, development partners with our customers as opposed to just, you know, throw something over the wall at them. Um, we, we like to work with them and be, you know, part of their team uh, as they're developing this, rolling it out and so forth. How much voice experience do the customers have already when they come to you? Uh, uh, that, that is, that has surprised me. Many of them have had absolutely no experience and many others have, actually substantial we've worked with a number of speech companies whose names i cannot reveal uh, for obvious reasons but we worked with a number of speech companies who felt that they were falling behind and hired us to help them catch up with the state of the art um and um uh so uh you know it, it it runs the gamut a lot of the people we work with they actually they know speech they they're you know they're talented they've got degrees in speech they've got years of experience but they need us to augment their staff help them uh get up to the the latest uh, state of the technology <clears throat> and then others know absolutely nothing and they just say you know help we don't know what, we don't know what to do but we we have this vision for a product or a service or whatever Hmm. You mentioned that you've worked in a, a number of different industries and different sectors, and obviously it seems as though you're working with many different types of people with different levels of knowledge. Can you speak to any of the exam? I know you might not necessarily be able to name names, but can you speak to some of the uh, examples of some of the stuff that you have worked on either recently or in the past, or any, any interesting things in particular that you think are worthy of sharing? Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Sure. Um, so one of those that I mentioned already was canary speech, this idea of uh, detecting diseases through the way people are speaking. Um, that's, uh, that, that's fascinating, but I've said enough about that. I, don't, I, I won't say more now. Um, we have uh, another customer they're working, we're working with that is um, working to reduce um, – or, or modify the accents of people who might be working in a call center in India or Pakistan or Indonesia or somewhere so that they sound more American or British or whatever the, the target, you know, whatever the customer is, so that it's a little bit less off-putting or alienating. It's more comfortable for the customer to, uh, to deal with the person. Um, that's an interesting project that we're working on. Another one that we're working on uh, is uh, developing a um, uh, uh, developing a, a, a conversational assistant for agriculture workers, uh, so that someone who goes out into the field and uh, is inspecting the corn crop, for example, uh, that they. Uh, their hands are, are dirty, their hands are full of equipment and, and instruments and things that they're using to you know, measure the moisture in the soil or whatever. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and they've hired us to develop a, um, a, a conversational assistant, a hands-free assistant, so that they can record their findings, uh, perhaps ask questions and so forth, uh, because their hands are you know busy that they can't easily type on a phone and, and whatever where they are. 
Um, I'll give you one one more example without naming any names. We've talked to a couple of different companies and actually done work, not just talked to, done work with a couple of companies uh, to develop uh, hands-free voice-activated controls for uh, medical surgery um, uh, equipment. Uh, when a doctor is in the middle of, uh, of surgery, that's another case where they can't necessarily take their hands out of the patient and turn the, bar, turn the knobs then go back to the uh, go back to the patient, and so it's convenient to be able to say things like you know turn up the lights or or uh, focus the light over here or whatever. Um, uh, so that's another example. Anyway, there's uh, there are um, there are a lot of uh, really fascinating projects. Uh, most of I, I will be I'll be honest. Most of the most interesting ones I can't say anything about. <laughs> Uh, such but, a tease uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so but, you know maybe maybe they'll come to light sometime soon and uh we'll be able to talk about them. okay okay well maybe we'll have to do another one of these then uh once 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 that happens and uh if you're able to speak about some of the things that may be coming down the pipe after they've came down the pipe then maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll do this again that sounds very good i would like that Jeff has been absolutely amazing. We won't keep you any longer. I know you've got uh, some some catching up to do uh, before your flight. And good luck at the conference. And thank you so much for joining us. Where can where can people find out more about Cobalt Speech and and you know either reach out to you if they want to work with you or find out more about about what you've been working on? Well, they can always go to our website www.cobaltspeech.com. Uh, they can send an email to info at cobaltspeech.com, and we have a presence in uh, most of the. Uh, uh, social media uh, platforms. We just two weeks ago started a blog, so they may be able to read up on some of what we're doing there as well as uh, over the over the weeks. Fantastic. We'll put those links in the show notes. I don't know about you, Dustin, but I think this has been absolutely unbelievable. It's been fantastic. Thanks so much, Jeff. Dustin Keen, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with both of you. That was Jeff Adams. And I am speechless. <laughs> what a story that was. That We didn't intend to get into that level of detail on that story, but that has essentially just pretty much documented the creation of the thing that we'd spend most of our time talking about, which is Alexa. Um, Jeff, one of the founding fathers, and just to hear that journey and, and how it was all kind of brought about and how they introduced it to the team after they were acquired and the level and sheer vast amounts of research and work and effort that went in to getting those microphones to just hear what you are saying is unbelievable. And the fact that they called it the Echo because of that fact that it was getting reverberations from all around the room and 20 odd signals coming into one microphone and trying to differentiate which one's which and put them all together to understand it. Honestly, absolutely unbelievable. And, and what we just said at the end there, as we clocked off, that Cobalt speech, essentially what Jeff managed to do by the sounds of things is take all of that learning from Amazon and from Alexa, pump it into his own kind of platform and now if anybody wants any kind of assistant to do anything any kind of speech recognition at all and you don't want to use alexa or google assistant or dialogue floor or whatever then you can just go to cobalt speech and essentially have yourself a completely unique personalized handcrafted assistant to put anywhere you want in products on websites anywhere unbelievable jeff thank you so much dustin as always cheers and as always boys and girls Thank you all for listening. Until next time, see you later.